0: I don't normally do this, but I just felt led. I wanted to um, make some opening remarks and, and in an effort to do them as sort of coherently as possible, I have I have written them and so I don't normally read uh, what I write when I teach or preach, but if you would just um, allow me to do that, I, I want to just kind of set the tone here and um, I felt compelled to do it this way. I've been a pastor for over 15 years now. During this time, I have faced a number of challenging situations. Three months ago, when we began the journey of COVID-19, I felt like that was the most challenging thing I had ever tried to lead a congregation through. Sitting here in this moment... That feels like trying to write your ABCs in kindergarten versus trying to write your doctoral thesis. (laughs) The topic of racism is a sensitive subject in normal times. In particular, for those who have been the victim of racism, it is always a sensitive subject to try to discuss. However, under the circumstances we now find ourselves in, I believe the challenge is even greater to try to properly navigate the topic. One of the things I have been reminded of throughout COVID-19 is that it is impossible for a leader to please everyone. I have watched leaders who I have thought have done an outstanding job of leading through this crisis that have taken great criticism. In order not to stir up unnecessary debate, I will refrain from mentioning any names in particular. What I have also realized is that it is not my it is excuse me it is not the prerogative of a leader to refrain from leading because of fear of criticism. In addition, it is even less the right of a man of God to refrain from leading because of fear of not pleasing people. Let me state for the record, I am not a sociologist and I am not a psychologist. I have been called to be a preacher of the gospel and at this point fulfilling that in the role of a pastor. Therefore, I am not here to speak nor facilitate this discussion from a humanistic perspective. In all honesty, this feels like the most daunting thing I have ever done in 30 plus years of ministerial involvement. However, my love and burden for the flock, My love and my burden for the flock God has called me to lead motivates me to press through any fears or apprehensions. I feel, excuse me, I lead and facilitate this for the health of the congregation I pastor. For this evening to be effective, we must be able to be open and honest I readily acknowledge that I am not an expert trained to do what we are doing here this evening. Some of the fears I have battled leading up to this evening are saying something that would be offensive or saying something that would be totally taken out of context. So rather than qualifying every statement or having to fear every word out of my mouth, all I can do is trust that those of you who know me know my heart. sorry it wasn't this wasn't in the notes
1: that's <laughs> all right
0: to those who do not know me i leave it between them and god to work anything out that may they may misunderstand or take offense at in any endeavor like this the goal of what you're trying to accomplish is extremely important so let me try to give the basic context of what i hope we can achieve this evening First of all, I believe we need to understand that the issue of racism is more close to home than many realize. I believe that when it is not as prevalent in the media as it is right now, we take for granted that it does not exist when it actually does. Secondly, I believe we need to take an honest look at whether or not we are as healthy as a congregation as we may think we are. While we may look around and see diversity, I do believe that is very positive. I think we have to look beyond that to truly evaluate where we are. I in no way think that we can accomplish all that needs to be done in one evening. So by the help and grace of God, this will simply be a start. Before we begin our discussion, I would actually like to, to uh, begin with an apology. I realize that what I'm about, with what I'm about to say, there is a risk. The risk is that those who may not have had an issue may now end up having one. However, that is a risk I am willing to take. It has uh, been brought to my attention in the last couple of days that um, Sunday morning I uh, hurt and perhaps even offended some of my precious brothers and sisters, and uh, I will not Sit and try to um, make excuses or justify anything uh, over what I said or did not say. Um, I, I'm not. I'm not going to do that. But what I am going to do is apologize to anyone that um, may be hurt or offended uh, by again what I said or may not have said that you felt like should have been said uh, I, I I was made aware of this fairly early in the week and um, when I made the video announcement on um, Tuesday, I think that was <laughs> uh, about my hope being that if there was unintentional wounds that have been caused in the past that um, this would be a part of healing those. And uh, in the moment that I said that in the video, I honestly, none of this was on my mind. Um, but yesterday, <laughs> as I thought through that and this came to my mind, I realized quickly that the words that I spoke on Tuesday, uh, I actually have been a part of that. And so I want to just um, offer my apologies um, Again, to anyone that, uh, again, what was said or what was not said that you felt should have been said, um, if, if that hurt you or offended you in, in any way, I, uh, I humbly ask for your, uh, your forgiveness this evening and um, pray that whatever hurt or harm there was, that God can heal that quickly and um, that we can move forward from that so um, I I um, I, I uh, all of that's not written so I'm at a loss right here so it will just allow me to kind of regroup so um, I do want to in advance thank these brethren for their willingness to, um, to join me this evening and my years of pastoring, obviously, I've never done anything like this, and um, I've had some very kindly offer concern that doing something like this in a live setting is kind of scary and that we should pre-record it, but I would just explain to you, I felt like in an effort to be as genuine and real as possible at the risk of having to deal with some unexpected awkwardness that we would, um, we would do it this way. And so I, I, I want to say how much I deeply appreciate these brethren being willing to be um, vulnerable and participate and, uh, and be a part of this. Um, so uh, in, in just a moment, we're going to kind of begin. I'm not here to dominate this conversation, so I'm just trying to lay a little bit of foundation uh, as we were talking for a few minutes before and um, I don't say this to sound defensive um, I, I say this because I want you to understand what is going on we have uh, we have had in, in the big scheme of things uh, a very minimal amount of communication uh, and and in a lot of ways that's been intentional because I'm not interested in in any way, us sitting here and this being a scripted event, I, I feel like that makes it somewhat disingenuous. So I want you to understand that we did um, have a little bit of email back and forth, but we met uh, prior to the start this evening, and and in that conversation, um, the point was made that that there is a, that there's a difference between uh, racism and prejudice. And that they're they're not the same thing. And the suggestion was made to actually kind of uh, read the definitions of those and kind of have them as a part of the context of this conversation. So I'm going to do that. Uh, and this is simply from dictionary.com. Uh, but racism is defined as a belief or doctrine that inherent differences. Among the various human races determine cultural or individual achievement, usually involving the idea that one's own race is superior and has the right to rule others. And then the word prejudice means this. An unfavorable opinion or feeling formed beforehand or without knowledge, thought, or reason any preconceived opinion or feeling, either favorable or unfavorable, and then unreasonable feelings or opinions or attitudes, especially of a hostile nature regarding a racial, religious, or national group. So I I think it was a very good point to kind of put those two things out there, that, that they are not necessarily one and the same, Um, and and kind of have that as a bit of an overarching idea. Anybody want to add anything to that part? Okay. So uh, uh, back to the two things that uh, we're going to try to have as an an outcome of this evening. I I feel like, and um, as I said in the remarks I read, and I'm still, most of you know me, Fairly well. I can't help but qualify, even when I say I'm not going to qualify. So forgive me. Um, but in in the uh, so there's things that <laughs> they feel even awkward trying to say them. But hopefully, again, you get them in the context. Um, the the first thing we're going to take some time on here is is again. I feel like that those of us that may not. Uh, have much experience with being uh, the target or the victim of racism and prejudice, I think we need to understand that that, um, this is not simply something that's about media hype. That we have brothers and sisters that um, regularly, consistently, periodically encounter this. And and I feel like one of the negatives, and we could probably just talk about this all night, but that's not why we're here. One of the negatives of the media is I do think it causes an insensitivity that because media can hype things up, it causes us to diminish the reality of some things. And so that's, and, and I will also insert, I'm leading this like I lead anything else I do, and that is by trying my best to be sensitive to the spirit of the Lord. So, um, we're, we're going to start. And again, I deeply appreciate each one of these men. And if you can haven't already noticed, number one, we've got a, a bit of a, of a age, uh, variety, and then we've got some variety in backgrounds. And let me also say this, (laughs) um, I'm not telling you these men are here because of thus saith the Lord, but I will say, this: these are the men that, for whatever reasons, in my spirit, I've felt to reach out to first. So, if those if somebody may be curious, why were those guys chosen? That's the best explanation, and it's the only explanation um, that that I can give. So, I've asked them as to whatever degree they're comfortable. Uh, to to share some of their own experiences or encounters uh, with this because obviously these men are are uh, all well known parts of Antioch the Apostolic Church and especially of Antioch Central so we're, we're going to start with the youngest and go to the oldest um, and so I'm gonna I, I want you guys when it's your turn to do two things just in case somebody's watching. Uh, and doesn't know your name. You'd state your name, and then um, just uh, and I think I think the majority in this room. It's a pretty centralized location for the most part, but where you where you were born, um, basically. And I would imagine if some of the other times of your life and where you've been comes in, that's fine. So again, if you uh, actually. Uh, let's do this name and your age just to add a little bit of perspective. I know the first couple guys that's not as much of a problem for, they you don't know, mind, but the last, but, uh, two, uh, yeah, the, the last two probably don't want to readily, <laughs> no, but at least it's not ladies that would be much more awkward uh, to do. So, um, I think we're going to do this next week with ladies, we'll just go in order, we won't make them tell Man, their name, their age. Um,
1: so anyway. Uh, take it away wow. I thought
2: we were talking about the order of or saying oldest too so I was, like, I I was wondering it. why you I, weren't sweating I, I was like, I had plenty of time to you <laughs> know, get, get comfortable and everything um, my name is Joshua Lewis if you do not know who I am you definitely know who my dad is uh, Tony Lewis Sr <laughs> he's the probably yeah. the <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> in um, so uh, I was born and raised in Annapolis, Maryland um, I for the last three years I was living in West Point New York so uh, that is who I am.
3: You keep going. So I'm just yeah, going. Yeah, now yeah, now it's yeah, almost. Yeah. Oh, yes, sir. So, yes. so,
2: so um, share I'm, what you're. I'm, so I'm 22 years old. Uh, um, a little nervous, but now now it's gone. Now it's gone. So, uh, <laughs> right. thank you, Jesus. Anyway, so um, you <laughs> know, sick growing sick. up, uh, my parents, you know, color and you know, looking at people differently because of their color wasn't really a thing in our in our house, and. It wasn't until I moved away and went to West Point that, you know, there's so many different cultures coming to the academy. I, I didn't realize that, you know, racism was still a thing. One of my buddies, he's one of my best friends at the academy. He was from Alabama. I, I just asked him out of random. I was like, hey, bro, like, is racism racism still a thing? And he was like, he looked at me and kind of chuckled for a second because he was like, what is this kid talking about, you know? And um, he was like, well, get in a car accident with someone who's of the opposite race. And then all of a sudden, you know, the N word is coming out and you're like, wait. Where is this coming from? And so, I was like, okay, well, maybe that's just in Alabama. And then, I will never forget it. My, my brother and my sister, my sister was in the car with me, I um, came home on leave, and it was uh, at Sunday night service, and we were driving past the um, the Best Buy on Generals Highway, and we just got pulled over, and I was like, okay, this is weird, you know, wasn't going too fast, you know, car was, you know, intact. And then the officer came on the opposite side of the cars and I was like, okay, that's different. And he put the window down and he said, you know, he said, what is your name? And he didn't, didn't tell me what was wrong. Didn't ask for my ID. He's like, what is your name? And in that moment I didn't really understand what was going on. I was like, my name is Joshua Lewis, sir. You know, didn't think anything of it. And then he was like, okay, you're good. Just, you know, go on home. And I was like, okay, that was really, that was weird. And, you know, being going to the Academy for three years, you know, you've always had this idea that, oh, well, I'm in the military, so an officer is definitely going to respect me, you know, kind of just accidentally pull out my military ID and, you know, I'm good, and they'll leave me alone. But since I've been home and out of the military, it's like, wait a second, you know, I'm just Joshua Lewis. When I, you know, there is a, you know, my heart rate starts to kind of beat a little faster when I get pulled over now I mean, I'm not the best driver in the world. I drive a little fast sometimes. But now it's like, man, is is that a a cop car behind me? Is, you know, like, you know, I'm so much more aware now, especially, you know, like we said, with media, it's super, it's hypersensitive sometimes. But, you know, we, you know, we're all apostolic, man. We don't believe in, like, having a spirit of fear, but it's it's kind of hard not to, you know, think about it. It's, It's hard not to wonder, like, okay, I need to, you know, relax. I need to, you know, get to point A to point B in a safe manner. And I was, you know, talking to my dad about it, and he was saying, like, you know having five boys in this world all with you know black skin it's it's a it's a thing that he wonders it's a thing that he he you know prays about so um that's kind of uh, my story hmm. so I I'm gonna do my
0: best to be the best listener here this evening but I think that's a I think that's just a great point as far as the fear part that uh, from from my perspective and even from a from this from a spiritual perspective it it doesn't I don't think it's fair to equate that concern that you're talking about and associating that automatically with like a spirit of fear I don't think that's I don't think that's one and I think one of the things hopefully we can get out of this tonight is yes we are believers and there is we are uh, we believe in the spiritual realm but if at the risk of this being misunderstood, we can't over-spiritualize everything. Mm-hmm. That's right. And I think we have to acknowledge that there's some things. It's not that it's a spiritual thing. There's, I mean, this is probably another topic for another night. How you deal with that may be through some spiritual tools, but the reality of it, I think, is, is more than that. So,
3: Well, uh, my name is Jalen Mock. Uh, I'm 25 years old. Um, I was born in uh, Montgomery County, raised in PG County, and recently transferred to Arundel County. Uh, if you know anything about me, I'm not really shy when it comes to a camera, but my nerves are going insane right now because my hand will not stop shaking. So I'm just going to get that out there and let y'all know. I, I, here we are. Anyway, um, yeah, so... I am, if you do not know, I am the, what's termed biracial. Um, mixed is what a lot of people also refer to it as. It's uh, My mother is white and my father was African American. Um, so I am uh, multicultural in of myself, so to speak. Um, and that being said, it did give me a very unique experience uh, as a child, Um, When it came to cultural differences, when it came to experiencing racism, when it came to experiencing prejudice, uh, because I was on the outside identified as a black male. Um, But from my house and from the family that I grew up with the most, they were all white. Um, And I always remember the moments when I would get my first state ID or when I'd uh, have to fill out that form or when I whatever it does, they always ask you like, what's your ethnicity and before it took them a long time to upgrade to other or to select multiple, but for the longest time it was either or. And I was so confused. I remember the first time I asked my mom, uh, she was like, well go ahead and check it off. And I went to do white. She was like, no, no, no. Black African-American. And I'm like, but I'm, ra- like I'm thinking like I'm raised by my mom who's white. So why wouldn't, and she's like, just this is what you're identified as because of what you're seeing on the outside. So I had to uh, select African-American and obviously I realized. Uh, as I was older why that was. Now I can select multiple and stuff like that, but growing up, that wasn't necessarily the case. Um, So very unique experiences throughout life, uh, seeing, sorry, this is very weird, I'm just like side profile, I don't like it, and this isn't any better, so we're just gonna keep the side profile. Anyway, um, very unique experiences uh, because, again, growing up in a uh, white family and seeing that side of the culture more so, but at the same time, being identified as something else in the world, and let me give you an example. Uh, I did not, I did not n- not see color in the sense of I didn't see color, but I did not go like label somebody as an individual based on what their skin color was. Because again, me seeing myself as this, but seeing my, the people I cared about the most as something else, I realized the, their skin color does not value who they are as a person. So I just embraced whoever and whenever, and I loved everyone. A great example is I had a lot of uh, friends as a child, um, and they were from all types of ethnicities, from black to white, Hispanic, mixed like myself. It was all over the place. And I think one of the first encounters I had, uh, specifically realizing what world I lived in, because my world was it's all fine, we all love each other. I was a product of love, I was a product of a black man and a white woman coming together and having a relationship, and this being the product. So I did not see an issue from one color to the next. But I realized in different experiences that that was not necessarily the world that I lived in. One of those first experiences, I remember, it was, I was a, ch- it was a childhood friend. I went to go spend time with him at his house, and I got the privilege to meet uh, someone in his family. And uh, I couldn't quite put my finger on it. I just knew there was something off. I, I, most of the time I went places, they'd always go back to telling my mom, uh, he was so well behaved and he, he cleaned the house and, oh, and my mom would come back and be like, well, I wish you'd do that at my house. Like, it's like most stories I feel like parents and children, but it was like, yeah, he's so well behaved. But this family member, I just got this strange vibe and I was like, am I doing something wrong? Am I, am I, am I, does she think I'm cutting up? Like, do I need to use my better manners? And I couldn't put my finger on it. And so at one point, uh, she was talking to this family member was talking to, uh, my friend's parent, one of his parents, and uh, says the comment, I don't understand why you allow them to play together as much as you do and why he's always with them. And I kind of was just, again, they don't know I'm there around the corner. And I'm like, what does she mean? What did I do? And she says the words out of her mouth. I mean, he's black. Like that's not going to be a good thing for him. He's going to have a bad influence on him. And I'm like, what does that have to do with my color? Because again, I'm judging people based on their character as a child, because that was my life. I didn't label people and who they were on their skin, it was their character, because that's how I was raped. Um, and that was the first encounter when I realized my color, just because I don't see it that way, as a, is, is, it's just, it's, it's their outside and it's their culture, perhaps, but it's not who they are. I then quickly realized, no, this, to some people, this impacts who you are. And the craziest thing that blew my mind was this wasn't a person from the world. This was an apostolic Pentecostal in the church that said this, and I'm like, what? And I, I never. My mom's probably going to talk later, be like, I've never known this, and be like, yeah, I didn't tell you because I just I didn't know what was right. and I couldn't put my finger on it as to I thought it was something wrong with me. I was like, what? What did I do to get this kind of treatment? And I held on to that for the longest time. And it wasn't until years later when I brought it back up to my friend and said, hey. Do you ever remember this and that? And I go on, and and this friend told me, dude. She she has issues with racism, and I just was like, seriously. In this day and after sixty years from civil rights and hundred years before that, dealing with the civil war and all sorts of stuff, this is still a problem. And and I'm realizing that it that it it is a reality. And. Uh, We talked about it, and he was like, I didn't realize it for the longest time, but then I watched how they acted, I watched how they talked, I watched how they felt about other people, and it became very evident to me that this person has an issue with racism, and that was one of my first instances realizing that the world I lived in didn't see the world the same way I did, didn't feel the the feel of the world the same way I felt it and didn't judge the world the same way that I was judging it, but that there were preconceived ideas and preconceived notions and preconceived characteristics that were applied to a person simply based on, uh, their skin color. There are many other stories that I could go through, unfortunately. Um, but I kind of went on along with that one, but there is, uh, one, two more, I guess I will share Uh, And this is, again, because that was when I was a child, but something to give you an example of more so recently to let you know that while I was a child 20 years ago, uh, this is still something today. I was in a conversation very recently with a good friend, and I trust this person they're not one to lie, and they were telling me how a friend of theirs, they were having a conversation with them, and uh, my friend was showing their friend a picture of a mixed baby, and was saying, oh my gosh, aren't they so cute? And this friend looked at it and said, "Oh, well, half of them." Hmm. Well, I'm sorry, half of them. And I asked my friend to explain, it and they said, "That's exactly what I said." I said, "What do you mean, half of them?" And the person said, "Well, I mean, I'm assuming that's a mixed kid. The other half's black, right?" And they were like, "Yeah." It's like I, it's just, I just for me, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't date or have a kid with a black person, and it's just. And, I, and this is not, again, not a person in the world even. This is someone that is an apostolic Pentecostal believer. And it they, they was not in our church, I will say that, but it was in a part of the bride. And that blows my mind that even today, that is still the mindset in some people's mind. That, and that is unfortunate. There are other conversations that I've had with friends of mine where they said uh, people have oftentimes used the terminology, well, they're not racist, but they won't ever let their kids marry a black kid. And I'm just like, so with these prejudices like, like let's get down to the real like there's still there's obviously an issue there if there's something that you're you will not allow x y and z simply because of the pigmentation of someone's skin um and so it blew my mind and again kind of bringing back to what josh was talking about about the reality of the world we live in thankfully i can say i have felt love from my church i have felt love from the people my my pastor his family i've there i have not there is times i've experienced prejudice and racism throughout my life some in the church some without for the most part i do feel the love and i do feel the embrace and i do not feel a judge based on my skin color but on my character but again while that is how we feel in the church the the reality is when we come outside of the bride there's still a world that we have to go home to yeah. there's still a world that we have to walk in and while the church the bride might embrace you on Sunday and at your small group and at Thursday, they have to go back to the world. And I say that to say this, I have not been one to embrace fear. I have not been one to know fear. I've talked about it many times. Uh, Pastor kind of likes to talk about his, the whole skydiving thing. I'm one of the crazies he's always referring to about the subject of, I went skydiving and I would happily do it again. I, it's just, I have not known fear when I was a kid. There was a few things I was afraid of. I learned to embrace them, to get over them. You can ask my mom. I literally intentionally did that because I did not like the concept of fear of that limiting me, of that controlling me, keeping me from doing something that I wanted to do. All that to say a month ago I was, I've told many before I go running. That's my thing. I enjoy running. It's, it's cardio. It keeps me in shape and I just, it's something I enjoy. It kind of helps me just release as well. And a month ago I put my shoes on and I, uh, was getting, getting ready to walk out the door, and I grabbed my door handle, opened the door handle, went to step outside, and I froze. And I just realized for a moment, do do you really want to go for a run today? And if you don't know why I had so much hesitation at this time, this was right after the whole. Obviously, the incident actually took place shortly before, but before the whole uproar and media and revealing all that took place with Ahmad Aubrey and his whole going for a run and just going to work out and never coming home again and I realized for the first time that's the world that I live in and while majority people feel one way there are those few that might decide you know what I'm not staying for this I'm going to make a move and it didn't help and thankfully I love the community I live in um, I, I felt love from them. I felt embraced from all sorts of people of all different colors and ages um, and there was a point I remember it blew up on social media where there was a group of guys in a truck driving around the neighborhood with a confederate flag In the back of their truck and it blew up on social media and thankfully again i feel great about my community because the community has a facebook page and they said i don't know who this is but you better never do that again and they all blew up in support, saying this is not okay and it made me feel okay but then i realized what if i run into the people with the confederate flag again this is a guy that doesn't really think of fear as an issue and i'm just like i'm just going to go for it and i froze and that day i did not run and that hit me on another level to realize that Just because there are people out in the world, while I felt love majority of my life, while I felt love from the church, that that is still the world we live in. And while it might not be an issue for you or for people that you've come in contact with, there are people in the real world that still feel certain ways and as we can see have taken certain action. And the reality that every person of color has to come to the realization of is that could be me. Maybe not for my brothers in church, but I could run across the wrong person in the world. I could run run across the wrong police officer. I could run run across the wrong individual while I'm out for a run, while I'm in my car, while I'm at a store. And something could happen simply because of what I look like on the outside. Um, Thank you.
0: I don't, you don't have to tell your age
1: because you know, you know. <laughs> you're just gonna slide it yeah. over to me like that. I thought you were gonna say something. No. to no. okay. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna put your age out there. Yeah. Awesome. I'm Vernell Spriggs Jr., um, 48 years old, uh, born in Baltimore, Maryland. Grew up in Fort Meade or Severn, Maryland, and Calvert County. Uh, I'm um, what you call Contretto. So I'm a city boy from the country. Um, so uh, I grew up the majority of my life here at church. Um, and I have encountered prejudice. I you know, don't think it's racism but prejudice. Uh, which is very hurtful, um, and I'll tell you, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not only black. Um, I'm the stereotype. I'm black. I'm the product of a broken home. I grew up in the projects. Um, everything that people would discount was me. And I was discounted by a lot of people. Um, I have stories on top of stories to tell. But I, I will start by saying one thing because of something that was said earlier. If you have never had to sit your kid down or yourself personally and run through the list in your head of what you have to do if you get pulled over by a cop then you don't understand Um, I have had to have that conversation with both of my kids I have had the phone call from one of my children that got pulled over not going to say names everybody can try to guess which one I only have two but they were frozen with fear because they got pulled over for speeding and the cop got out of the car and automatically had their hand on their their sidearm and it's normal but if you don't understand that feeling then you don't understand hmm. um i grew up here a graduated from antioch christian school the majority of my friends growing up were white i had black friends um i said earlier in discussion that (laughs) i kind of for a great portion of my life i felt like i was in a middle ground i didn't fit in either place um I went to school and I felt great and I could be one person at school because that was what was expected and then I went home and I had to be this totally other guy because I didn't want to get beat up on the streets so that being said um, I had friends that you know we'd be out and late night shooting pool or went out to have crabs or whatever we get pulled over and one of my white friends is driving and he you know put the window down and you know cop would come up and say license and registration and he said well what did you pull me over for and it's like paralyzed me in the passenger seat because that's something I could never do with, without ramifications. It's, it's hard to explain what you go through internally just because of who you are. And like I said, it, until you've had to sit down and have that discussion with your children... You just don't understand what it's like to be in this skin. My first recollection that I have of, I always knew there was a difference. I always knew that, you know, my friends, some of my friends could do things that I couldn't do. And there were other friends that I just, couldn't be around because of what they did, and you couldn't be in a group or be seen or wear certain things, even back when I was growing up. you know you couldn't have nice things if you did, you had to have gotten them dishonestly um, but I think it it really struck me that I knew the difference when I was early teens, dating age, and here it is, I have this world that I'm in for church and school, and I have all these friends, and I started liking one of them, and it was brought to my attention that you guys can be friends, but you can't be friends like that. And that was the first time I realized, whoa, there's a big difference. There's a huge difference. And now let me tell you, everyone that's watching, your emotions are going to go through all sorts of, because mine are. They're just going to do somersaults, or somersaults. And one of the most life-changing things for me was I moved away and I came back and the brother that told me that pulled me aside in church and said I'm sorry he's the only person I know of in my life that apologized for labeling me and judging me Without even wanting to know me, changed my world. So, you know, I like I said, I can tell story after story after story. Um, I kind of feel bad because, you know, everybody just, you know, I sometimes want to say why me, but why not me obviously I've been able to handle this Um, this climate this culture like the pastor said in the beginning heightens everything the problem with it is when the hype is all gone and the media is quiet I'm still going to be in this skin right in my life really doesn't change Um, I have been passed over in workplaces I, you know I have had to work extra hard as a businessman to get the majority of my customers to even trust me because of what they see it's common but disheartening when a customer comes in to meet you the first time, and they say, "Looking for Mister Spriggs," and you say, "That's me," and they freeze and say, "Oh, that was that was you on the phone." Well, yeah. Um, it's I, I can continue on and on and on, but I won't. Um, I think I got what I had to say out. Thank you.
0: I forget who's younger or older.
4: I'm uh, one of the elder statesmen. Um, I am Wayne Brown, uh, 59 years of age, and um, was kind of happy with being 59, but it didn't uh, work for me back in March because I missed by 10 months of being a senior citizen to go into the different stores at 7 o'clock. I would appreciate that perk, but I I missed by 10 months, and that. Kind of, kind of stuck with me. Um, But I grew up in Norfolk, Virginia, Navy town. Um, But at 18, I joined the Air Force, and my uh, first duty station uh, was in Cannon Air Force Base in New Mexico. And I appreciate these brother stories and all that. As I told the pastor earlier, um, I'm going to be slightly different, but I do feel it, you know, coming full circle. Uh, to what the Lord has done. Wow, <laughs> that didn't take long. Mm-hmm. Um, but here I was as an 18-year-old, uh, out on my own for the first time, and uh, did not grow up in church, but uh, the Scripture says that our steps are ordered to the Lord. I didn't say good man. I'll let you all judge that, but uh, he constantly guided my steps, and here I was as a, a, a green 18-year-old kid, uh, unchurched, and I played softball. And this one guy witnessed to me, and uh, he and his family took me in. Uh, uh, I babysat the kids while they went out. They they would constantly come get me from the dorm uh, to free me up and all that, and then eventually take me to church and all. And in this church, and depending on which way the wind was blowing, this 200-member church, um, I was the only one that looked like me only black person in the church, and wow! for three years, if they were racist or prejudiced, they hid it very well. Uh, they embraced me, they took me in, um, and if it were behind the scenes that they were saying something different, uh, they, they did a great job of it. And I said it to say that after three years and when my wife, um, when I started dating her, And she joined that church, and so here it was, revival, because there was two of us. (laughs) He doubled. That pastor married us. And I will say, in a 13-year span of the military, uh, for various reasons, moving orders and all that, um, I had nine pastors, seven who didn't look like me. Uh, uh, Our family went to Belgium. We were stationed there. There was no church there other than the missionary church and we went there, those people didn't look like us. They didn't speak our language. They embraced us, uh, translated the services in English for us and all. Um, In in another matter of sort of color, so to speak, um, we went to places where as Air Force, we were the least numbered service there. Uh, Case in point being Illinois, uh, Navy town altogether. And I said to say, I went to McDonald's one time and it was like a VIP came in. Because, one, all these white uniforms, here's this one guy we call blue suitors, here's this blue suitor. And they literally opened up one checkout stand just for me to come and, you know, all hail this guy. And I said to say that my 40 plus years of being out on my own has been in environments where Uh, If I can say it this way I was the minority But what was I going to do with that And I'm saying I handled myself in such a way That I wasn't inferior to anybody The church I was at I didn't go in with my head down like Oh But I knew that's where I was supposed to be And maybe it was because If there was racism there That God was saying Look at this one guy here who He's not afraid of Mm y'all And he's a part of y'all And the same thing with, and I love saying this um, because throughout my military career I heard uh, that of all the services, the Air Force we were civilians in uniform. And I'm telling you, I took offense to that. There was not, I made it my point, there was not a better Air Force airman than me. Uh, Wore the uniform proudly, I was not a civilian. Uh, Went many a place where there were we were outnumbered in ranks but I made it a point to stand out, and as sad to say, as I come full circle with, how come I don't have it that I was called names or or or, uh, or, or uh, treated uh, unfairly? It may have been because of how my demeanor was, and I'm not saying that that's the, the whole thing itself, but certainly God had, had a role in it. So that I come full circle now to my last few years of working with our anchor kids who. Grew up like me without a dad, Uh, projects. I grew up in projects and all. But here was God saying this will, it it, it doesn't have to be how you end up. It doesn't have to be your character, as Jalen said. And so I'm paying it back with these nine, ten year old kids who don't have a dad or there's not a dad in their life to say, still. There's a God who can put something in you, who can order your steps. And I, and I realize now that perhaps policeman is not a good word right now, but as I shared with the past a few months ago, one of these kids from two years ago that my wife and I work with in the projects, to hear that if he's not there yet, he, he's close to it, he's going to be in the police academy. That's him saying, my environment is not going to dictate how I'm going to end up. So I'm saying I come full circle with, haven't been called the N-word, have not been. Don't know of racism, but do know of a God who has kept me and led me and trust me. And I want to pay it back with, hey, y'all, let God lead you. Let him direct you. And he definitely will order your steps.
1: Wow. I'm not the <laughs> <Jeez>, oldest.
5: thanks. <laughs> Alright, so, uh, my name is Latchman Prasad, but most people know me as Wendell, which is my middle name, is what I go by, uh, except for everybody who knows me as Andrew's dad. Andrew! <laughs> you know, yeah, I've been around for a little bit, um... there ain't enough time hmm. you, you were saying how a couple of Sundays ago hmm. we were meeting outside and you had said something that has been has stuck with me it didn't just bother me but it stuck with me that you know we can put up with this there are people in this world who have to put up with more than just being outside and you know to go to church um 62 years old. Uh, I've been in a church. People shot in. I was in a church in Baltimore where one night, uh, clansmen were going out the front, threw three sticks of dynamite and a lit fuse through the window. I can. If I hear M&M's pouring, which that was my thing for my, you know, to sit still and listen, you know, M&M's. And I can remember holding my hand out and my mother's starting to pour the M&M's in my hand. And then I see the floor coming up to me because somebody had thrown the stonumite right in the window. My mother and my grandmother, I was in between... Pushed me on the ground and covered me with his bodies to keep me from being killed. When I was growing up, there was no one like me. Now, my father's East Indian. My grandparents and my on my father's side and my great grandparents came from Southern India. My father, you ask my father, he would tell you he's not East Indian; he's West Indian because he was born in Trinidad. West Indies. But my mom uh, is from North Carolina. She's black. Dates me to say that because black and African American you know I asked my father about it once uh, when I was younger and he said you know that's they will try one of the ways to keep people downtrodden is for them to keep you from knowing who you are. If they can keep you from knowing who you are, they can keep you guessing about everything. It's one of those things, and I just had to talk with someone yesterday about it, and he was saying, this is what I've done, this is, you know, this is who I am, this is what's happened to me, and I said, you cannot tell. keep letting other people tell you who you are. You know, I know your circumstances. I know that you think that you shouldn't be here. But you should let the Holy Ghost tell you who you are. Because when I look at you, I think there's a brother in Christ. That you are an heir to a throne and a crown. Mm-hmm. Me, when I started to say that, uh, not knowing anyone like me, uh, when I went to kindergarten and first grade, black church, I mean, uh, school, Baltimore City, uh, I'd hear, well, you're not really black. You know, mm. yeah. But you're not really white either, yeah. even though you speak properly and yeah. you read correctly. In second grade, my my father got out of the Air Force, uh, went into insurance, was uh, talking to a couple. They were selling their house. He liked the house, and we moved in. Friday night, we moved in. Saturday morning, my dad's like, you know, and I'm in uh, first grade. Come on, let's go for a walk. Walked up to see Pointed out the school that I was going to be going to. Uh, we walked down the street and there was a, a newspaper stand. We went in to uh, get a paper. He went in to get a paper. I went in to get Eminems. Uh, we walked out. I was like, wow. The police were there, blocked off the intersection. There was a parade. You know me? I'm like, hey, you know. It was the Ku Klux Klan. Baltimore City. You've been to my parents' house. When I went to school, I had to have state troopers take me to school and bring me all the way home to my house for two years, second grade and third. You know, I've had water hoses turned on me. All kinds of stuff that was said, you know. I had friends who, you know, after a while, (laughs) after everybody told me that I wasn't supposed to be here, uh, you know, I'd have my school friends, and then I'd have my neighborhood friends. And I'd hear the same thing from both of them. And my white friends were like, well you're not really black, but you're not white. So it's alright for me to be friends with you right now. I'd go home now. After a while the neighborhood changed colors. Um, I'd have my friends in the neighborhood. Well we can be friends with you now. You're not really black, but you're not white, so we can we can agree on that. But if I saw any of them in different circumstances,
1: mm-hmm.
5: wouldn't know, wouldn't know. That's why it's really hard for me sometimes to get friendly with people and to let them know what's in here or what's in here, because I can, for the longest time I couldn't trust anyone. I couldn't even trust my own family, because there were people in my mother's family who didn't like the fact that my mother married outside of her race, you know, They would never talk to us if we were, I mean we were one of those kids there, you know, they were from North Carolina, so for a month we got to go to North Carolina to stay with aunt somebody or our great uncle somebody's farm, you know. Uh, and they, you knew the ones that wouldn't interact with you other than just while you're right there. Aside from that, and they were the ones that did. Uh, I didn't know my father's family until I was after the 3rd grade that somewhere between 3rd and 4th we took a plane trip down to, to Trinidad. And it was really strange. You know, here's this, all these people that, they're my family, but I didn't know I had that. It just never dawned on me that they were other side of the family. Um, it was different, but accepting. I mean, because most of them knew that I was an American, you know, and, which carries a whole different kind of connotation for people down there. And, I'm, and I know from over time, from having traveled a little bit, that it uh, is different other places. But in some great states, it's still the same. Because you're not really one, but you're not really the other. Um, I could go on for a while. People have always told me that I should write a book, and maybe one of these days I will, since I have time now. Uh, But I'll just limit some things to after 9-11 because things had gotten better over time, especially when I moved down here to Annapolis. It took me a little while to figure out, you know, it's like because Naval Academy and the state government and all these other things, people were just different, Mm -hmm. you know. Uh, And that wasn't a bad thing until 9-11. after that, and I had just talked to my father, <laughs> I was laughing and saying, you know how, you know, we were followed by the FBI because my father was a photographer. He traveled a lot, plus he also knew a whole lot of people in Baltimore. Uh, one day, uh, <laughs> Coach Humphrey. And my son was old enough to be in the soccer team. He's he wanted to play basketball, but just would. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I know brother David could do it because, but everybody else is him. <laughs> but he's different, <laughs> uh. you know. Uh. Uh. This one day, it was during the uh, when they had the Beltway Sniper when we had to have, you know, people, adults come there so we could play in the field in the the drainage pond for a while before we got to a uh, field we could use. And this one day I was just, you know, came in really quickly into the parking lot because I was coming with Andrew from someplace else. And Andrew was in the back of the minivan. So I just pulled in and the gate was locked so I just pulled out and I made a note. There was a police officer standing over, sitting over there in the water uh, plant right at the top of the hill. Church right there. So I just pulled out and I was saying to Andrew, you know, I've got to come to the coach. Make sure he doesn't drive the bus down there a little too fast since there was a radar trap set up down there. And in the back, I looked in the rearview mirror because something sparkled. And I realized he had turned his lights on. And pulled out. Now, I'm in the car, I'm going, I gotta go back right up to the schools, right up to the school, and then come back. Now, uh, Jerry, coach, you know, we drive down that, that road, be doing the speed limit, and I like you normally. You know. So we get there, the gates open, I park, bus is up in the upper parking lot, there's a lower parking lot, and <laughs> You know, we threw out the balls, the cones, everything, everybody's out there running laps and doing stuff. And I hear this sound. You know, it's strange, whooping kind of noise. And then right over the top of the trees, Baltimore City police helicopter with men in ninja suits on the side. dropped a rope. They came over. And of course we're all like, Wow <laughs> that's the new helicopter. <laughs> and Andrew is like dead. And I was like, What? He's like he points. I turn around and look in the parking lot. Parking lot's full. I count twenty five police cars. <laughs> One of your sons was there. Jerry. Brother Humphrey came up and like, uh, what do you think all this is about? To, you know, it's the anniversary of 9-11. I know what it's about. So I walk all the way down and I get to the gate. To, and all the, all the state troopers who know me now, you know, they're all looking and they're all laughing. And, you know, it's like, I'm not going to talk to them. All I did was run in the parking lot and run back out. This guy saw me and thought, Middle Eastern. And there was a uh, 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 thing out for them to, you know, somebody going to do something in water plants, crazy stuff. Now, But for the next month, I had FBI following me everywhere. I've been pulled over in... The house in the neighborhood I live in now, seven times, and my father had the talk, because that's what it's called, yeah. the things you do. That's right. If you look up and you see lights in the rearview mirror, you know. I had that talk with my son, and I it broke my heart when he saw me have to do it. Four of those times, I could look at my front door and the conversation always started, you know, you turn the car off, put your keys on, on the dashboard, not at 10 and 2, 11 and 1, mm-hmm. so they could see your hands, wait till they knock on the window, put the window down, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good night officer, trooper, I can't see your name tag. What can I help you with? Not is there a problem? Is there what can I help you with? Because you want to disarm that right away. And I'd hear, what are you doing in this neighborhood? Coming from work, going this way? You know? Where are you going? This way. Where'd you come from? That way. Not being smart. <laughs> I'm just answering your questions concisely. And it, and I really had to ask God to forgive me for this because it got to be such a game. I'm sitting on my wallet, registration, proof of insurance, right above my head. It's okay for me to get it, get it out, give it to them. And I, you know, never tell me what they're pulling me over for other than I'm in the wrong neighborhood. I need to watch them turn around. Take three steps. Stop. Look around. Look at the street corner or where. I are, look at the house number. And I just lean out the window and says, Yeah, that's my house right there. Hmm. The last one, totally officer. You've only lived in this neighborhood for over three years. I've lived here for 25 hmm. <laughs> I know your daughters, I know your wife. See, this is me. I'm Andrew's dad because everybody in my neighborhood knew who Andrew was. And he's like, uh, uh. I said, you pull me over now, you might as well go and check. I know you already called in my tag number to see there are no wants or warrants on the car itself. So. You know. It's, for me, seeing what's going on now First time I saw police abuse somebody, their power. I don't even think I was in school. Right in Baltimore. Throw a brother into the back at the paddy wagon when they had those paddy wagons that look like ice cream trucks. Mm-hmm. Go in there and you see the truck, and all you hear is screaming. Mm. Cop, get out take his gloves off, you know, his leather sack gloves that they'd have on, pour water and it off. He's done, gone. Jump on people in the supermarket. Two guys, I remember two guys, just like Kmart, Walmart something was, back in the day. Caught a guy stealing stuff, you know. Him to a pulp right where I was standing right there. That's why I said it's hard for me to make friends, keep friends, real friends. But I have to think that, you know, there are so many things that I that have gone could have gone a different way. Sure.
4: Yeah.
5: You know, I've had, and I have a soft spot for state troopers, but they do what they do. Seven state troopers. Guns pointed at my head. Knowing that one does twitch, I'm gone. You know? I've been with my wife. Sitting in a parking lot in Annapolis in the condominium that I own. Sitting in a car, we're just talking, and all of a sudden you'd hear this sound, and I look at and I didn't turn. My first thing was like this. Because <laughs> I'm looking at three Brebbits not including two shotguns on the other side. I can't tell you times about how many times I've heard people say you should be with her or see me with her and then want to make a big deal out of it. Knowing that I'm, you know, then never look at my hand. Now, hmm. yeah. it, it's really sad and kind of funny and a, weird kind of way for me. Been there, done that, seen it. And every time you hope that every time something happens people are going to change. But people without Jesus and the Holy Ghost it just doesn't. And we have to think like you said we can go into a dream slave nor free we're all the same and the saddest thing the saddest thing happened to me when someone came to me not just one you need to control your son because keep him away from my daughter because she's not going to be he's not going to be able to have a relationship other than passing it broke my heart and then but the second one I what does that say about me and I you know it's one of those did I really say that out loud well it's different for you so you're already married now you're, you're living out of God's will for marrying a foreign woman. And they used that scripture. And I had to tell them, I said, You know, did you read the next, or the one before, when he told them, Why? My chosen people, I don't want you to use to marry foreign women because you make acceptance for their foreign gods. If it wasn't for my wife, I. Wouldn't you say? I would not be here walking. I would probably be dead because of the health issues that have happened. And it's only because I've had somebody who weathered those storms with me. It's important, but some of these storms she shouldn't have to put up. With. And like I said, it breaks my heart every time I hear one of those. Because I'm neither one nor the other. Somebody make an off-color joke. You know, when somebody, if like you said, somebody says, oh, the brother over here, the African-American, the black brother over there, you know, I don't really hear that anymore. You know, because I know they're just trying, I know what they're saying in their heart. That was just the label that they point out right away. And I make a point out of saying, oh you mean brother with the blue suit on the yeah. orange striped tie or the white striped tie? You're always trying to teach somebody something who doesn't know. Something the way it should go. Did it take up too much time? Not at all. Absolutely not. Because <laughs> one of us
0: can keep going for a yeah. while. <laughs> I think we have uh, very uh, uh, well portrayed or by the transparency and vulnerability um, of people we all know or most watching know. Um, I, I think that has shed uh, light. Again, as I've said in the beginning this is not you know there is no doubt in a lot of different things the media hype but at the same time that doesn't take away from real issues and, and problems and so I, I know we've been going uh, a little over an hour um, and uh, it's, this is this is uh, there's, there's logistical challenges to getting us all together, so we're going to go a few more moments um, here because I think we need to spend a little bit of time on the second part, and I think some of the things you've just said, Wendell, are a, a, a great transition into that. And um, to be honest, in, in, in some ways this this could be the Part where it gets a little more more awkward to try to... It's one thing listening to your stories, especially, for the most part, things of the past. Um, But as I said in the beginning, it's one thing for me to sit and look at this room and go, yeah, we're doing a great job at being a diverse congregation. It's another thing to kind of dig a little deeper. And... um, as challenging as that may be as well, we are going to do that. And I want to I want to make a point, and I'm going to try to be as brief with my part and, again, allow for the, the perspective and input of these brethren. I do believe there is a component of what's going on, especially in the world right now, that is a spiritual battle. I think we should acknowledge that. I don't think we should... Um, deny that I don't think we should say this is not a spiritual this is a you know an ongoing problem I think there is a spiritual battle and the enemy is always looking for a way to get a foothold especially ultimately in the church which again is a big burden as to why we are doing this to to try our best to ensure that that not only is not happening but will not happen But the bottom line is this, even even though it's a spiritual battle, the same thing that happens in a natural battle happens in a spiritual battle, and that is soldiers in a natural battle can get wounded in the battle. And so I don't think we need to deny it a spiritual battle, neither do I think we should over-spiritualize everything, but I think we have to find the balance that... Is there an enemy is he looking absolutely but then there's also human beings Um, and and so here is and i want to make this point i think before i kind of read a couple of verses here and we talked about this or at least i mentioned this before we started this evening i do not believe as a as bible believing christians we should work to be politically correct in our language, that we should allow the this idea of being PC to cause us to not believe what the Bible says and stand for truth. But I believe there is a difference between allowing uh, the, the intimidation of being politically correct versus being sensitive to the feelings Of others, they're not, and I don't think we can make them one and the same. Well, that we worry about what we say and how we say it, we're just allowing ourselves to be influenced by this idea of being politically correct. They're not. We can't. I don't think we can make them the same thing. Being mindful of the things I say and how that may affect a fellow brother or sister is not the same thing as. Uh, suppressing truth. Right. So th- there's a passage, and I've used it, and I probably will use it in the future. And I think, I think I may have referenced it in the recent past. But I, I wanna, I wanna try to open up a little bit of dialogue here for the remainder of time. And um, let me, let me read the passage, and then I'll explain a little bit of what I'd like for us to try to touch on here for a little bit it's galatians 3 and 26 i'm going to read through verse 29 for ye are all the children of god by faith in christ all (laughs) no matter what color you are no matter if your parents were two different cultures it doesn't matter we are all the children of god by faith in christ jesus for as many of you as have been baptized into christ have put on christ and And here's this verse in particular. I'm going to read the next verse, but this is kind of the primary verse that we use. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither male or excuse me, there's neither bond nor free. there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ if you be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. so. I believe verse 28 is one of those verses in Scripture that lets us know that racism is absolutely wrong. It is a sin. It is not a human weakness or a flaw. It is a sin. And there are multiple other verses that affirm that. But here's the thing, and uh, I want to remind you of this as well. Before we ever, before we. Um, and I don't feel it from any of my brothers here. So, but before any of us get on a high horse because, well, they're supposed to be Christian. How can they have an issue? I just want to remind you really quickly that the Apostle Peter, yeah. the Apostle Peter, who we esteem and for his role in the kingdom and the Day of Pentecost, etc., the Apostle Peter had to have a vision yeah. from God to sort of, if I could say it this way, twist his arm yeah. yep. to go to the house of a Gentile. Yep. So before you judge any of your brothers and sisters today too harshly, don't forget that our uh, the, the, the within the apostles, in fact, we're sitting here this evening, and I am actually encouraged, not discouraged, when I see that Peter and Paul two of the most significant men in the new testament they had words if you will yeah, over this issue yeah. mm-hmm. so my point is in no way to excuse that we have issues but it is to remind us we are human beings mm-hmm. but as i have tried to say and i said i think in the in the video we have i believe we have every right not to expect that everybody's going to be perfect, but that we are constantly moving in a direction of wholeness and unity mm-hmm. and love and acceptance, no matter what color, race, etc. And and so here's the here's the thing that I've never really delved into in those verses, and I'm going to be very transparent with this. And the, again, my opening comments, I don't want to be misjudged or or whatever else. The bottom line is, as is the case at Antioch Central, there's usually somebody responsible for leading that has a particular skin color or nationality. And and I think it's it's essentially impossible and I'm this is a discussion, so if after I open the floor, if anybody wants to disagree with me, I welcome that so hopefully I've demonstrated that but I'm just going to speak for myself as hard as I try I am of a certain skin color and so to not allow some of that to have some degree on influence of what I do and how I do things is it's impossible as hard as I strive and am amongst people who strive that there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither bond nor free, there's neither male nor female, that's where we're striving for, we also are human beings. And so, and here's the part where I'm, 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 I want to be open and honest and, and not beat around the bushes. The thing that I really, even this morning, brethren, I think kind of dawned on me like never before Is if I'm not careful, and I'm speaking here in the context of us in this congregation, if I'm not careful, I can make the measurement of that my culture. So we're all one; we're all going to be one. But these are the eyes that I look through. These are the. I mean, like Jalen said at the beginning, he didn't look through. What he was looking at wasn't what everybody else was looking at. And so, at times, naively because of that. And so the thing I, 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 the thing I want to kind of try to talk about here a little bit is whatever time we spend in the remainder. And, and this is to me where a little bit of the reality we have to face as a body is it's a little easier and I'm just going to say it. it's a little easier for me as the pastor of this congregation, to promote we are one body. And I will say, as believers, I think our first and foremost allegiance as a born-again believer is supposed to become the kingdom. That's our first and foremost allegiance. But we are still in earthen vessels. So, and here we are. Are there ways, have, have any of you either personally experienced or have you observed ways in which while we are striving for that, that there are some some, uh, obstacles or challenges that we have not been as aware of as we could be to say, you know, okay, we are all are one body, but that one body has to continue to recognize what's making up that one body is not one skin color. And so we've got to strive for the culture of, of, of the of the Bible, of the kingdom of God, and do our best. And that's where some of these, um, and we don't really have time to go all night here, but that's where some of these, uh, what I think sometimes are intended to be innocent references um, or statements by the one saying them, but that's not the way they are received. And so... Yes, no, no Jew nor Greek, no bond or free, no male or female, but how do we make sure that that is as easily to embrace as possible, knowing that for, because we are all humans, that is a process that doesn't just simply necessarily happen overnight. And thoughts, comments? Um, you know,
5: I, I th- Think about some stuff like the statement of I was blind now I see those scales come out or those blinders that only make you see this. I think through the Holy Ghost he lets us look at things differently. You had mentioned with Peter, you know, that she came down and I was like, whoa! if he didn't look at it and change right then because God spoke to him I think that's what we need to do and that's what I think this is one of those times where we get to look at things a little differently there's no way for us to walk in your shoes because there's only me in here you can't be in here with with me All we can do is talk about whatever it is. It's and I don't hold a brooch Not this church. First time, every time I brought somebody there, the first thing they say is, "Wow, there's no majority here." Well, this is what you. This is what the world looks like. Don't you think the church ought to look like this? Everybody. Likes to hug necks and talk and laugh. And we don't look at each other like that. And the few times that it has happened, you know, you try to turn it aside with a little bit of a kind word.
3: Um, I think <clears throat> uh are Two specific things that can be done in this regard, and I, I personally feel that our church has done an amazing job at doing both of these things, which is why it's hard talking about it almost because you feel like you're correcting something. But the reality is, I think we're just emphasizing that the correct thing has already been done. It's just to continue that. And there's the two specific things is one, and it's in that same regard you're referring to Acts 10, and with Peter and Cornelius. And what happens is when he finally goes to talk to cornelius there are two things that happens first cornelius falls at his feet peter says no i am just a man he puts them back on the same level and says again going back to galatians when he says we are one there is not jew nor greek there's not me up here and you down here but we are equal and so he first takes cornelius and says no stand up we are the same then he talks to him and he doesn't just say I'm here to tell you the plan of salvation and minister to you in X, Y, and Z. He tells him, you're aware my people don't deal with your people. You're aware that there are cultural differences. You're aware that there are issues that people in our environment don't, this isn't normal. This typically isn't okay. But he says, despite that, God has shown me that we are where we are and that you have just as much right to Jesus as I do. And so what he does is not only does he bring him back to his level and says, no, we are the same. He talks about the matter. He doesn't just go and minister to him, but he lets him know, this is where we're at. This is how our culture is. This is how we stand. This is what we're feeling. And we're talking about it. We're not ignoring it and overlooking it, but we're talking about it. And that's the second thing I think that we can do. The first step I think we've done an amazing job at, and that is allowing, it's not the platform personnel is only the majority or the pastor's skin color. The praise team is not just the pastor 's family skin color. You see at a mix of everything the praise team has singers that are black and white and mixed The band has members that are white and black. The platform personnel is black and white. The ushers are black white hispanic like you see a culture through all sorts of it's not just well, if you want to be involved in the hispanic if you 're Hispanic, well, we can only put you in the hispanic ministry no there's a place for everyone in every and every ethnicity in any place in ministry. It's not a matter of your skin color determining where you're at and your involvement, but that you are, we're welcome, we're open, and you can be a part of everything because we are on the same level, so to speak. So that's the thing, I think we've thrived at as far as equality goes in the church, again, with Peter and Cornelius, him telling him, stand up, I am just a man, we're on the same level. And the second thing, again, I think is the talking, which I think is a huge step of what's happened today, is Peter, again, didn't just ignore the fact that there are issues in the world and that our kinds don't typically mix. And there's obviously issues with your people and my people. He talked about it, was open about it, and said, this is where we're at. And I think as that continues, because like, I forget if it was, it was one of you two, made the comment about how these conversations happen when everything gets flustered up. But as soon as it kind of settles down, the conversation ceases, and oh we're just going to continue back to normal. I think that's what has to change is there has to continue to be a conversation about this. And, and, and I think people honestly feel uncomfortable talking about it because it, it, they might think they might trigger someone or they might cause emotions to rise up. And the other side is, well, I might, I, I don't feel that this is me and I, I don't, and do I need to apologize for my, my ancestors' mistakes type stuff. And that's not, that's not what needs to happen. It's just talking about it because when you get it out, things can change. If it's not, if it's just talked about in your, in your private group, it doesn't change anything. If, you have, like if there's an issue with something that was said Sunday, someone needs to come to you about it and say, I had an issue with what was said Sunday, because when they do that, things can change, like tonight. Um, and I'm, I'm finishing, but just a testimony to this story is, many of you know On my closest friends, Andrew Nielsen, we were traveling uh, west to visit some friends not too long ago. And went through a certain state and a certain county where uh, things got a little, you just, you felt it. Because again, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And there are things in the natural, but there are also things in the spiritual. And as soon as we got there, I could feel it. Like there's just the the hate and the, the, the culture there. I knew, let's put it this way, I was not going to get out of my car for anything in that moment. And no sooner I started feeling that way, a car drives by with a Confederate flag sticker in its window. We continue to drive, and there's a Confederate flag hanging from a house up on a hill. Continue to drive. There's a mom and pop type shop, and there's a Confederate flag hanging in that window. And I got quiet, and I just began to like sit in my seat and just just got quiet and calm. And I wasn't gonna talk about it. I wasn't gonna bring it up because typically people don't see that. Kind of like we talked about how people, unless they know, like when it comes to the cop issue, they don't think about how to handle themselves in that situation. And I will never forget what happened, and it's honestly, it, it's just, I love him for it. I wasn't talking about it because I knew it was uncomfortable, and I knew how I felt, and I got silent. But he, in the silence, because he told, could tell something happened, he says, did you see the Confederate flags? I said, yeah, I saw them. He said, I'm sorry, man. I know this not not should that should not be okay i don't know how that that's still allowed that people are not banging on their door to rip those flags down and he he talked about it and it said two main things one he wasn't he wasn't blind to it he saw the flags and he realized that's wrong and that's i think what happens is because people if they're not experiencing it they kind of unintentionally become blind to it innocently. That's what ignorance is. It's to not know as a child is they don't know and they just, they become blind to it and don't see it as an issue and they drive by it every day and don't think about it. So it says so much about him because not only did he see it, but then he spoke about it and he talked about it and he knew it was going to be uncomfortable. He said, I want you to know, you obviously know how I feel about it because we're friends. That is not okay. And I'm sorry that that is, that, that, that you're, ancestors had to deal with that and that and that that is that is still apparently a thing in this world because people still feel that way but he's like i want you know i don't feel that way if there's anything that i can and we literally i remember we had a 30 minute conversation about it and it, it said so much to me because he saw it and he talked about it so again going full circle i feel like that is what can help and continue to help is again the the, the the equality, for lack of a better word, that happened with Peter and Cornelius is the same thing that happens in the church, where if you if you will have a burden for music ministry and you have the talent and the anointing for it, by all means, your skin color is not keeping you from the platform. Right. And the same thing goes with the, the opposite side. We have to be okay talking about it. I know it's uncomfortable at times, I know it brings up wounds, and that's the reality. We do it with everything else. We talk about the wounds, we, we let it out. And this is just something that we can no longer be afraid to talk about just because it makes us uncomfortable, just because it might mean at one point in life we hurt someone's feelings with something we said. But when we talk about it, we can help bring about change in our body and in our church and in our world that we live in around us from our brothers and sisters in Christ. So, Can I piggyback off that real quick? Um so much
2: of, like, social media has been, like, you know, your silence is, like, your compliance and stuff like that. And a lot of people have put that in. Oh, well, then I have to post something on social media about right. this, too. And I've had this conversation with Jalen and some other people. And, you know, that's not the case. No. You know, you don't have to. Like, for me personally, I don't put anything on social media. I mean, yeah. it's not my thing. I don't I don't communicate through that way. I mean, I, but I'm still, you know, for I mean, I'm still involved. I still want to make sure that I'm saying enough of what's right because I'm... I'm I was, talking, I was talking my dad about it, like when our church prays about things, something happens. Like we have like our church, Antioch, has an anointing so when we pray about stuff when we go to God and talk about those things, there's something that happens and another thing that you know kind of bothered me is I heard, you know, some people I couldn't even watch the video to me it's like, like the video obviously of George Floyd and like, you know, to that conversation of us speaking up about things when we, you know, turn things off, oh I, I can't even look at that it's like we can't be naive and put our head in the sand at that point. We have to make sure that we are still educating ourselves, still seeing that, you know, this is still out there. This is, you know, it's not the boogeyman. He's not just, you know, hide under your bed somewhere, but that's a thing that does still happen. And so in that conversation of, hey, this is a thing, and no, I've never ever seen it at Antioch. It's, it's so funny. Like I've never, ever once felt different at Antioch. I love my church so much. You know what I mean? Sure. When I was at, at West Point... I would literally tell people and describe like, man, my church like we get down, like we get down, and they're like, oh, you went to a black church, and I was like, no, <laughs> no, no, not at all, like no, we went, you know, I went to a multi, yeah. multi generational, multicultural church. That's, but that's and it was just so funny because. People didn't understand that how that was possible. I'm like, you're like, well, your pastor's white, like, and y'all get dead like, you know, it's like, <laughs> I'm telling you, that? The hem book? How does that work? But it was, really. it's like, you know, you're like talking about when we all get to that po- that point of we're not looking at that, but we still understand it. I mean, um, I heard described to me, you know, God has created us all in His image. We don't all look the same. But there's a different part of that image that every single time you look at each other, we see. And that's what makes it so unique. But also, when we come together, you're like, wow, that's a powerful God. To bring all of us in this room together, you're yeah. like, man.
4: I think, um, and Jalen touched on it, and I, I want to say, I think we're, we Antioch, we're further along in this journey than, than I think we know. Yeah. Yes. And perfect we are, yes. Yeah, so and let me explain that. Uh, by saying I think it should be 10 years now of um, Ramona's passing. And there were some coworkers who out of respect for me came to the funeral. And a couple of ways I can go with this because some of them didn't look like me and knew I was in church and they too were churched also. Uh, but their church for the most part was one one color. So they're going to see us and so a couple of ways I can go with this, and that is, you know, let's hope Jalen behaves, he's not jumping around or whatever. And all that, <laughs> <you know>. Or <laughs> you. I can go with an idea of uh, what I knew. Right. And when they came in, and I felt, I felt the one guy in particular uh, just take a look at platform only. And there was my bishop, my senior pastor. There was Brother You, and there was Brother Milton. Brother Reaver was there also and I'll and I say it this way with godly pride I could feel the sweat, the butt's were about to pop because <laughs> I was proud of godly pride of us and all and mother right on the organ and all and I knew because of the one gentleman's his culture his church didn't look like that and guess what I wasn't going to be embarrassed by that right. because this was us and and it was God you know bring us all together so again I think we're Though imperfect, we're further along. You mentioned with just the different departments that we have, yeah. and I know that the pastor to pray, he'll approach someone with. I think you know, consider God moving you in this direction, and I know him enough that he's not looking for this person's color first to fill this position. Right. So, pastor, cut yourself some slack with where we are yeah. under your leadership.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I, um, I think one of the things, and I'll kind of wrap up with this, and uh, we'll, we'll try to close up shop here, but uh, I, I will just say from my perspective, one of the other things we touched on for a few moments before the broadcast is, um, and I'm just going to go ahead and put it out there the way we discussed it privately, from my perspective growing up with two parents that never one time ever demonstrated any kind of prejudice or racism and the as most know from that's from a mother who'd come from the south where a lot of issues have been and still continue to be. So I've kind of always in my mind, as a white person felt like it was a positive that say, well I don't see color. I don't see I don't look at you and see color. But I think, and we talked about it, and we're going to wrap it up, so we're not going to, maybe when one of these other discussions, we'll come back to it. Um, I think, in essence, and part of what I gleaned from our discussion was, as has been touched on, Jew, Greek, whatever, we want to see each other as equal. But we also want to value the fact yeah. that we are not the That's same. Right. And um, most of us are very thankful that we are not that's right. the same uh no offense i wouldn't want to go to a church that was just my culture yeah. and i think most of us feel that way yeah. and so the beauty i think and again i think a little bit of adjustment even on my part here recently is trying to and i shared a story and i'll share it here brother prasad touched on it. he shared an example but Years ago, I was sitting in a service on the platform. I was youth pastor, I think, and there was a guest. And I leaned over to somebody on the platform next, and I'm like, "You know, who's the, who's the black guy?" Right, you know, and and it dawned on me, if that was a white guy, I would have, as Brother Prasad said, picked out, you know, the color of a jacket, the color of a tie. Why did I have to make it about? Um, and, and I think sometimes in our desires too. Try to you know we, we we are we in a very sincere effort try to do something that we think is for the good that we actually end up learning okay that wasn't um that wasn't as quite and I uh, realize they're not represented here this evening and my, again my only explanation is I've gone with what I felt but you know it's it it's being mindful of our Hispanic congregation that and this is a challenge is it you know. Are they, do we refer to them as Hispanics or Latinos or what we, we have to be mindful of that and I think if we all and, and I've, I've heard it I think this evening sometimes specifically said but I've also sensed it and that is if we can sort of believe the best in each other and understand okay that's really not what I want to hear but I understand where your heart is uh, and I think that's happened um, subconsciously, to this point, and so uh, that—that's that's another thing again. Just what what I mean by and what I, what my burden is is you know for my mind to just assume that it's the best thing to say. Hey, well, I don't see color. Well, that that may be, that may not necessarily. While my intent right. in that is a very positive intent, we we also value, and it's a part of. I think you said it, Jalen. That's a part of who we are. That's right. And so that's, that's again, and we don't have time, but that's again a little bit of a changing of me personally of the perspective. Okay, yeah, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There's neither male nor female. But all of that is based on who we are, where we come from. And that is, to me, part of the ultimate testimony of the power of God. That we can embrace, that we are different, and yet we can love one another without any kind of hesitancy or reluctance. So, assuming we still have an audience, I want to say once again, I want to say once again to all of you gentlemen, I, uh, I, I deeply, deeply appreciate your willingness to um, to be a part of this. Um, considering we've never done anything like this, and we we are all had our apprehensions. Um, I don't know about you guys. I think I'm actually going to sleep pretty well say, tonight. I'm, tonight. I'm, gonna, yeah, I'm much <laughs> better. Please pray for these <laughs> gentlemen. Most of them have not slept since Monday. So um, so thank you. Thank and you, uh, why don't we just uh, one more time before we close a word of prayer. Father, thank, thank you, you for this thank you. time. Thank you for your Thank You, God, for what You're doing. Thank You for what You've already done. As Brother Brown has said, thank You that, that You have already done some great things. But I thank You for what the future holds. That we are going to continue to grow and mature and develop in You. God, I do pray, as I said in the video, I pray right now, whatever wounds there may be, especially in the context that within the body may have been caused, knowingly or unknowingly, I'm, I'm asking You for healing and wholeness. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Beyond that, God, as, as these brothers have willingly shared stories of their past and wounds of their past, I pray, I pray for healing for that as well. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, God. Thank you for the privilege you've given each one of us to be a part of your kingdom and your body. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in Jesus' name, I want to say one more time that again, this is um, this. I do believe this is a start that does not need to be. As I've already said, I have every. I feel like we're supposed to follow this up next week. I may have to. Yield the chair to my wife, ha ha ha! <laughs> I don't think that'll happen, but maybe she'll at least sit in here with me. But uh, even beyond that, so um, I, I agree wholeheartedly that there is a need to continue because and I deeply appreciate your statements, Brother Brown. That you know we we do have some things here to be thankful for, but I, at the same time, the goal is to not just take for granted that. Right. So, thank you. Thank you.